I wonder if you could open up your Bibles, please, um, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and today we'll be looking at uh, verses 11, or verses 7 to 11. Colossians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. And before we look at that, let me pray and pray thanking God for what a privilege it is that we can still meet up like this. As I said on, on Friday night, I think we are in a unique position that of the few groups that are allowed meet in the country, we are one of them. And so we'll thank God for that now as we pray for him to speak. Lord, we thank you so much. What a privilege it is that we can gather here. What a privilege it is that we can hear from your word. I pray, Lord, that you would give us hearts and minds uh, to be attentive, to hear and listen, and to think about what you are saying and what you are calling us to, Lord. And so I pray these things in your precious and wonderful name. Amen. As I was thinking about this letter, as I was thinking about Paul and the writer of the letter, I was reminded about the past that Paul had. And and it's often good when you're reading anything from the Bible to think about who was the person who was reading it. And when you think about Paul and when you think, or who was the one that was writing it, and when you think about Paul, the writer, you think this is a guy who had a past. If there is anybody you would look at and think that God would not save and that God could not save, it was Paul himself. And Paul recognized this in his own life. Paul was aware of the fact that he too had a past. And so he talks about that past when he writes in 1 Timothy, he says this, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. See, Paul knew exactly who he was, but for the grace of God. And that is why I love reading and teaching letters about Paul, because Paul is a guy who gets it. Paul wasn't a perfect man. He was writing by the grace of God. We are listening here this morning, not as perfect people. We are listening here this morning by the grace of God. I am preaching here this morning, not as a perfect man. I am preaching here this morning by the grace of God. And so Paul is consumed with this idea of reminding people, reminding Christians of who they were and then reminding them of who they now are. And so as he writes to the Colossians earlier on in this letter, he is obsessed with this theme. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 21, he reminds them of their past when he says this, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. The past was you were once alienated. You were once hostile. You were once doing evil deeds. But now, now by the grace of God, you have been reconciled to him. This is our story. If you are a Christian here this morning, you have a past. 
All of us have one thing in common this morning. Every single one of us here, all of us has a past. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that about the writer and sometimes we forget that about us here. Every single one of us has a past. And what Paul is going to encourage us this morning is to do this. Leave our past in our past. He wants to encourage us to put our past away. To not bring it up again. To not live as though we were in the past. But live as who we are in Christ Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 7. In these you too once walked. When you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. What he says there in verse 7 is quite significant. Here's what he's saying in verse 7. He is talking about the past. In these you once walked when you were living in them. All of those sins of, of sexual immorality, he was saying to them, this is the way you once lived. This was your past. But now what he is, is he saying in the contrast in verse 8, but now you must put them all away. And that is the command for us this morning. Last week was this. You must put them to death. This week it is this. You must put them all away. And what I want you to see in this command is this. I want you to see the severity of the command. Look at verse 8. But now you must put them all away. This is the severity of the command, which means you and I don't have an option. He is not giving us an option here. He is not saying, oh, might you please put this away? Or if you don't mind, would you put this away? Or if you get the chance, could you try and put this away? Or with some of these, could you try and attempt to put these away? No, what he's saying is you must put them away. You don't have an option. The severity of the command. But what you also need to see is the extent of the command. He says, but now you must put them all away. The extent of the command, which means he's not saying, I just want you to put some of them away. I I just want you to put the ones that you find easy away. He is saying, I want you to put them all away. And you see what happens to me, I don't know if this happens to you, but whenever I read these lists of Paul, you see Paul writes all these lists in his letters. He has these kind of patterns. He writes these vice lists and these virtue lists. The vice lists are the sins that are consuming us. The virtue lists are the things that we are meant to pursue. And sometimes when I'm reading these vice lists, the things that I am meant to put away, I start to think to myself, well... Yes, there are some that I can, but realistically, I'm not going to be able to put that away. And so I can feel the Holy Spirit kind of convicting me when it says, no, you must put them all away. You don't have any option here. You must put all of them away. 
And so that's the severity of the command and the extent of the command. But there also needs to be the meaning of the command. If we are going to put them all away, we need to know what this command actually means. What does it mean to put all of these sins away? And in order to figure out what that means, I need you to think of an image. And it was an image that came to me as I was um, going through Dahlia's clothes the other day. Dahlia asked me, didn't you, Dahlia, to get your, your favorite top? You're not too happy with me saying your name. <laughs> Dahlia asked me to get her favorite top the other day, and I went to her wardrobe to get her favorite top the other day. And as I went to get her favorite top, I saw her uniform there. It started to get me a little emotional. Why? Because she's starting school in September. But it started to get me a little more emotional because of this fact. That was the same uniform I used to wear. Not the exact same one, but the same colors, the same crest, the same school. I used to wear all that uniform. My brothers and sisters before me used to wear that uniform. In fact, my mother before me used to go to that school. Not sure if it was the same uniform. So it meant something to me. But as I thought about it, I thought to myself, can you imagine if I could find one of those uniforms that could fit me and I started wearing that now, today? Can you imagine how ridiculous it was if I, if I strolled up in a St. Luke's uniform right now? What would you say to me? You would say to me, that doesn't suit you anymore. You're not meant to be wearing that St. Luke's uniform anymore because you're not going to school anymore. Yes, that would have suited you when you were going to primary school. Yes, that would have suited you back then. But no, it does not suit you now. It does not fit. Why are you wearing that? So it should be with Christians. There are old clothes that we used to wear. And sometimes what we do is we go back to the wardrobe of our old life and we start picking out these old clothes and we start trying to put them on, but they do not suit us. They are not what we should wear. And so what Paul is doing in effect is he is taking out these two wardrobes. First there is the wardrobe of of sexual sins and he's saying, listen, I want you to take them, I want you to kill them, tear them apart and throw them away. And then he goes to the second wardrobe this morning and he says, listen, there, there are these sins of relational sins and I want you to take those old clothes and I want you to throw them all away. The problem is we keep them in our wardrobe and sometimes we pull them out again and again. So what type of clothes are we to throw away? Now here's what I want you to do. As I read this, I want you to see if the Holy Spirit would bring up something to you in your life that you need to put away. Because this happens to me every time I read one of these lists. So I want it to happen to you. Here's what he says. Verse 8. But now you must put them all away. What clothes should we put away? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't put some of them away. Put all of them away. Put these clothes away. And when you look at at these clothes, these kind of uh, sets of clothes that he gets us to look at, there's two kind of categories in in the wardrobe. There are our attitudes and our actions. 
First he talks about the attitudes. When he talks about the first three, there, there are these kind of attitudes, the root of the problem, if you like. Anger, wrath, and malice. Anger, wrath, and malice are kind of the root of the problem. The other sins are like the fruit of the problem or the actions of the problem. But the root of the problem is anger, wrath, and malice. And when you look at these three words... What these three words are kind of saying is is pretty much the same thing. This idea of anger is a hatred towards someone. The idea of wrath is an intense hatred or anger toward someone. And the idea of malice is an intense displeasure toward someone. It is this idea of being angry. Now, a couple of weeks back, I asked you the simple question. Do you ever get angry? Even now, as a Christian, do you ever get angry? Let's just admit it on camera right now. Christians get angry. This is right. This is what happens to us. It's wrong, but that's what happens to us. We can get angry. And I said to you, there are these these stages of anger that we can have with someone. So so when we're angry with someone, we can we can think about them and think about the argument that we would have against them and you kind of fight back against them in your head. You kind of think of the arguments that they have and at the and, and at the end of this argument that you have in your head, what ends up happening is you end up winning and, and then when you've done all of that in your head, you are more frustrated at the end than you were at the beginning. And so that's an example of the stages of anger that we have. But I also want you to remind you of the types of anger that we have. Because I think what some happens to some people is, is we say to ourselves, well, I'm not really an angry person, so that really doesn't re- apply to me. But I hope the person sitting next to me is listening because it does apply to them. We always do this when we're listening to the scriptures. But I think when we think about anger, we should think about all the different types of anger. A couple of years ago when I was preaching on patience, uh, we we looked at this uh, before, this idea um, given to us uh, by Ed Welsh. He wrote this this good book. It It is called A Small Book About a Big Problem. And the problem is anger. I'll I'll, I'll maybe buy a few books for us because I reckon maybe some of us might need it. I don't know. Maybe you're all perfect, but I'm not. And there are these types of anger. And so the type of anger that I think we often associate ourselves with having is this anger of hot anger. And so he labels it out like this. Hot anger is wrath, war, murder, quarrels, explosions. There are a few explosions in this room. Jealousy, rage, envy, hate, vengefulness, attacks, oppression, and abuse. That's hot anger. And so usually when we think of anger, we only think of that type of anger. The type of anger that explodes, the type of anger that shouts, that type of anger. And so we think when when Paul is saying, put away anger, we only relate it to that. But there's also another type of anger, and that is cold anger. Listen to cold anger. Cold anger can involve silent treatment, withdrawal, indifference, cold shouldering, controlling, score keeping and criticizing do you ever keep scores in your relationships well that's one against him that's one against her next fight we have i'm bringing that baby back up do you ever keep scores and so what often happens in marriage is is usually you have you have this idea sometimes there's marriage that's just like coal or or hot anger and it's explosive and, and both people are explosive 
And then you might have just cold anger when both people are, are silent and don't talk and dismissive. And then you, when you've got a mix, you've really got it going, when you've got explosion and silent treatment. And that just doesn't just happen in marriage, it happens in friendships and it happens in our relationships. But then he talks about another type of anger and you wish he would stop because it's just so convicting, isn't it? I found it convicting. The third type of anger he talks about is covert anger. This is grumbling, complaining, gossip, defending, getting frustrated. Sarcasm can be a form of anger. Irritability, entitlement, eye-rolling. Those kind of covert anger. And so all of us are to hear this command. And what does it say? Put them all away. These are clothes that do not suit the Christian. Put them all away. So that's the attitude stuff. Then he gets to the action stuff because what happens with us in anger is this. Often anger expresses itself in something. And how does anger often express itself? Anger often expresses itself in words. And so he moves on to talk about speech and I don't think it is any coincidence. He says... Now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouths. You must put away the speech that is not the godly way of speaking. We are to speak in a different way. We are to wear these different clothes. And so when you think about slandering, it is this idea of defaming someone. Speaking against them, ripping apart their character. And obscene talk is that that filthy language that does not suit the Christian, that we are not meant to be saying. And some of us might say again in this room, listen, I'm I'm quite good with my speech. I, I I can hold things down. But I think in our lives, I think we speak in many different ways. Just like there's many different types of anger, I think we speak in many different ways. So I don't just speak with my mouth, do I? How else do I speak? In this world, I speak with my fingers, don't I? I speak with my phone, don't I? We have a lot of conversations in this way. And so what I noticed, what I noticed during, during our lock time down period was this. I noticed, and, and I'm going to talk of my friends outside of the country, right? My Christian friends outside of the country, here's what I noticed. And I may have noticed it inside of the country, but I'll just say outside of the country, right? Here's what I noticed. Some of the language, some of the speech that people were saying online was really encouraging and good. I was so glad when people took it as an opportunity to share the gospel, to send out the gospel, to preach to people. But then the rest of the speech, I just thought to myself... Lord, will you end this lockdown because it seems like Christians have too much time on their hands. And they're saying and typing too many things. You see, what happens when we type is often we don't think. We don't think about how we're slandering someone. We don't think about how we're speaking badly. Often when we're speaking face to face, we think because we can see someone's reaction. But when we're typing, often we don't think. And so here's what happens. I don't know if you've ever had friends over recently. You probably haven't had many friends over recently. But if you had friends over and you know, they might stay over kind of a bit later in the night, kind of half ten or whatever. And then you'll notice the conversation kind of straying, won't you? And you'll start talking about 
about rubbish or stuff that's not really important and you're only talking because you just want to stay together. But you realize that the conversation's not really that profitable at that time and so you're able to stop it. But here's what happens. We as Christians then at about half 10 or 11 go online and then we keep talking when we shouldn't be talking and we say foolish things that do not suit us. We need to put them all away, whether it's physically or with our lips or typing with our hands, we need to put them all away. And then he gives this add-on command. He says in verse 9, do not lie to one another. And you think to yourself, why does he give that command? Verse 9, do not lie to one another. He kind of tags that command on. And so what's happened in the last two weeks, we've had a number of commands. We've actually had five of them. The first command was this, seek the things that are above. The second command was set your minds on the things that are above. The third command was this, put these things to death. The fourth command was this, put them all away. And the fifth command is do not lie to one another. And you see, when Paul gives a command, he is saying something really important. And he he reserves a command for do not lie to one another. Can I remind you of who he's talking to? He's talking to Christians. He's saying to Christians, do not lie to one another. See, Christians, sometimes we sit on our high horse and we say, oh, would this world stop lying? We need to look in the mirror at ourselves. Do not lie to one another. Why? Who is the father of all lies? Satan himself. It all started back in the garden. That was one of the biggest problems. And I reckon that Paul heard from Epaphras because Paul had never met the Colossians and Epaphras came to him. I reckon that Paul was told something about them, that there was lying in their midst, certainly from the false teachers, but maybe also with one another. We need to be careful as Christians to put them all away. Now, right now, if you're like me, as I was studying this during the week, if you're like me, you are really, really, really discouraged. Because all you see right now is, this is impossible. How am I going to put all my anger away? How am I going to put all this foolish talk away from my life? And here's what I want you to remember. I'm a father, right? So I want you to imagine that I say to, to Simeon here, I say to Simeon, Simeon, you know what? Simeon, I want you to do something. I think you need to start paying your way in the house. So Simeon, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get the car, get the, my keys to the car. I want you to go into the car. I want you to start the engine. Then I want you to drive into town. And before you drive into town, Simeon, I want you to make a CV for yourself. And go and go in the car and drive into town. And I want you to go around the shops. And I want you to get some interviews. And I want you to get a job and get a job. And don't come back to my house until you have made some money and can, can put some food on the table. Do you think that would be fair for me to ask Simeon to do? That would be one of the most unloving things. I as a father could do. Why? Because he can't obey that command. It's absolutely impossible for him to do that. 
Our Father is a loving Father. He would never give us a command that He would not enable us to do. And so He gives us these commands, but He also gives us the ability to do them. And so this is why Paul says in verse 9, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here's what Paul wants to remind us of. You have put off the old self. You have put on the new self. And therefore, you can put away all these clothes. You now have the ability. Why? Because the old has gone and the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are not your old self. And so Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.17 is right when it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are not your old self. You are a new self in Christ Jesus. Like Evelyn was, was reading to us in, in Romans 6 verse 10, it says this, For the death Christ died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. We are no longer our old selves. We have died to our old selves and we are now alive in Christ. Or else my favorite verse, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Do you hear what Paul says? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You have put off the old self. The moment you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. And as a new creation, you need to put away all these old clothes. But he reminds us at the end of the verse, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So what this means in the same verse is this. He's saying, you have put away the old self. You have put on the new self. But here's what is happening. You are being renewed in the knowledge of the creator. You are being renewed. Which means this for all of us here. There is not one of us here who has made it in relation to these commands. Every single one of us are being renewed. We are being changed. We are being transformed. In fact, Paul even says we are being saved in one sense. God is changing us. He's working on us. He's refining us. He's calling us to live this new life. And so what's going to happen to you tomorrow? I bet you tomorrow you're going to get angry. I bet you that's going to happen to you. I have no doubt that's going to happen to you. I bet tomorrow you are going to say things that you are going to regret. I bet that's going to happen to you. But here in that moment, Paul wants to remind you, that's not you. That's not who you are anymore. You're not to live that life anymore. So continue to put these things to death and be renewed in the Lord. And so he concludes by saying this, verse 11, 
Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and is in all. Effectively, what he is saying is this. All of us, hear me now, all of us are in the same boat. That's what he's saying. All of us are being renewed. None of us have made it. All of us are in the same boat. There is no Jew nor Greek, circumcised nor uncircumcised. There is no special class of Christianity here. Not in this group nor in any group. None of us. All of us are being refined and renewed. And all of us are in Christ Jesus. Which means this for me. Me, Shane Dean, I am Irish. Nobody can take that away from me. I'm Irish. I'm born and raised in Cork. Nobody can take that away from me. Yet that's not who I am. I would happily throw away my passport if I could still fly without it. Because that's not who I am. Who who are we citizens of? We are citizens of heaven. That's who we are. Therefore, in this group, nationality doesn't make a difference. Personality shouldn't make a difference. Social background should not make a difference. We are all on the same path. We are all journeying this together. God is working on us all. None of us have made it. And let us all be reminded of this. That Christ is all. And He is in all. That Christ is everything to me. And if Christ is everything to us, then we can leave our past in the past. And we can put all this stuff away. I'd like us to respond to God's word by singing, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let us stand and sing that together.
just going to have a brief time in the in the Lord's table. Let me share with you just one scripture. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 it says this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. And such were some of you. But you are washed, you are justified, you are sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we remember His body broken for us and His blood shed for us, let us take this opportunity now to confess our sin before Him as um, Andrew and Abby lead us in All I Have is Christ. So take the cup, hold it with you. We'll take it at the end together uh, before we leave.